0: Welcome to Sitcom Geeks, I'm Dave Cohen and I am James Carey and today this is episode 205 and uh, we're very delighted to have with us uh, a guest, uh, a brilliant writer, she's written for uh, loads of uh, great comedy dramas, uh, shows like Call the Midwife, uh, James Herriot's Shouldn't Happen to a Vet and is a writer, producer, and showrunner as well and... In her spare time, manages to fit in being the chair of the writers' guild, which is a job I can vouch she has done brilliantly. So please give a big sitcom geeks welcome to Lisa Holdsworth. Hello, <laughs> okay. thank you very much for having me on. I think it's called All Creatures Great and Small, not um, Indeed.
1: but yeah. no, that that's fine. We'll leave it in, and I'm so glad you mentioned it because I flipping love that show and my i watch it with my kids and my wife and it's just an absolute total treat and it's let's be honest it's basically a sitcom isn't it it really
2: I, the especially with the three main male performances yeah james is playing it very very straight but uh yeah. tristan and, and Siegfried are just it's such great band it was such a pleasure to write for, for that show i loved it
1: yeah, no, it's absolutely amazing. So but in a, so although this is sitcom geeks um, and your track record is obviously a lot of drama, and there's some new tricks on there as well. I was looking earlier as well, which is another show I, I, I've always really liked. But I guess all of the, you know, a lot of these skills are the same. But what we normally do is start, start off by asking our, our interviewees, what got you into television? What were you sitting cross-legged on the floor watching from this <clears throat> magic box that was
2: flickering images into your home? Um, Basically everything I I was an absolute Television addict There's a a story which may be Apocryphal that my parents tell that I was sat in the back of the car and I misheard them Talking about getting rid of a sofa And I thought they'd said they were getting rid of the television And they had to pull the car Over to calm me down Enough to carry on the journey because they had such hysterics Over it Um, So uh, press gang Children's ward Red dwarf Oh. Uh, the big one was fame for me as a kid. I really loved that
1: Fame, show. okay. Yeah, that was. I've got three older sisters, and that fame was really very much where at least two of them were. So um, lots of jumping off the edge of the sofa, shouting fame, and all that kind Absolutely. of stuff. Absolutely.
2: Ch- trying to do the, the splits in the air and uh, yeah. realizing that leg warmers only really, really suit very, very thin dancers. <laughs> Not dumpy yeah. girls, probably.
0: Sorry, I was just sort of uh, cutting in and out there, uh, the uh, my connection. But um, I, I heard most of that list. But did you mention uh, any of the the kind of northern based
2: soaps at all in, in that list? It, it's weird, yes, that probably you know, particularly Emmerdale should probably be on the list because it was always on in the house to this day. She's just she'll get back from two weeks in Cyprus uh, next week, and the first thing she will do. Uh, is sit down and catch up on all the soaps, which I mean is quite an undertaking these days to catch up on two weeks worth of soap operas. She watches them all. I always preferred the North. I think, I mean, I think Coronation Street has great comedy in it. I think that's its skill, and Dale does. I think EastEnders has always struggled with comedy. And I don't think Holly Oaks is meant to be funny, or perhaps <laughs> not as funny as it is, but that's quite rude. The, the soaps were always a, a, a a big thing in
0: that. Kind of wondering at what point you joined the dots, as it were, and thought, "Oh, I love all these programs, and um, and you know, I what 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 could I do to be a part of this?" And uh, how how did that kind of uh, evolve for you? So I
2: did um, as as kids did. I did loads of drama classes. It was when you could still um, do drama at, at GCSE And so I also did my GCSE drama did theatre studies A-Level, which was fantastic. It was a real um, education. In fact, I think I probably learned more on my A-Level than I did on my degree. Um, And then, all thinking I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be on the stage, tread the bars, be on the screen. And the more I learned about the industry, the less I I wanted to do that. I realised there was a lot of standing around and being told what to do um, if you were an actor. And I wanted a bit more uh, control and creativity and all the rest of it. And towards the end of my A-Level, I wrote for the most part, our final piece, which is very expressionistic. Uh, We'd all learned about uh, Anthony Narto that year and a lot of Brecht, so you can imagine a load of 18-year-olds from Leeds putting on that play. Um, But I loved it. I loved doing the writing. I loved uh, pulling together the stuff. So when I went off to do my degree uh, in that London... um, I was already thinking that writing was my thing and I'd I'd been a voracious reader and um, a a good creative writer at school so that all came together so the end of my degree I wrote um, actually a comedy called Jackie's Wedding a screenplay and when I was pressing in from doing my dissertation uh, and essays and that was the thing that, that sort of set me on my way yeah and so what degree was that? Uh, it was a, a major in film and a minor in theatre. I never touched a camera. I never stood on the stage. It was at, the, at what was the university in North London at the time, which is uh, the university that Jeremy Corbyn dropped out of. Apparently, yeah, oh. uh, we were not there at the same time. No, um, and so yeah, I, um, it was a very academic, lots of critical theory and talking about Brecht again, um, yeah. thing. So I think it also convinced me that. Um, I didn't want to sit around and talk about Brecht, so Brecht um, Mm. will never be an academic. Um, I I feel it kills television, you pick it to pieces. I guess, I mean, presumably this was
1: um, just before the year 2000, this is in the 90s. It was, yeah. So because there weren't actually many courses for this sort of thing back then and the ones that were would have come out of stage and theatre rather than the idea of a TV production or TV screenwriting course. I mean, when I started out at a similar sort of time in the 90s, it's just like you just didn't know any writers and it's just like you just have to figure it out. You know, it's like read a couple of books and have a crack at it and write some sketches. But yeah, there were very few places you could go and study this stuff. But in a way, maybe do you feel that as you've progressed in your career, that you learned stuff that you didn't realize that how important it was. And you know, do you, how do you reflect back on that time?
2: Um, it, I think it gave me the piece of paper I needed to get the work experience in television. Basically, I came back to Leeds um, with everybody saying, oh, well you won't get any work because all the work's in London." that's rubbish. It's rubbish then and it's rubbish now. Um, there's lots of work regionally at Leeds was a hotbed of television production. So I got work experience at Yorkshire Telly as was would walk down the corridor and see the, the plus rising damp and things like that as I went down the. But I worked in factual television, um, because it was the it was the only work I could get. It's very hard to get entry level stuff in drama, still is today. Um, so I'd worked on a show that was called J- David Jason Diving In the Cayman Islands. Uh, could also have been called David Jason gets a free holiday off Yorkshire Telly. So <laughs> it'll do more episodes of Touch of Frost. Um, it was one of the first of those celebrity girls on holiday type shows. And I, I helped research it. And from that, got a really good reference that put me in uh, the right place to get a job with an independent production company that made science and history uh, television programs, which was a you know a 20 minute bus ride from my house. And I was a production coordinator. And I did that four years and that was far more of an experience in television production than anything I'd learned at university because I was doing everything. I was helping build props. I was booking the shoots. I was doing health and safety forms. I was taking things down to the BBC. I was looking at uh, commissioning briefs, all that kind of thing, because uh, Paul Bader, who was my employer at Screenhouse Productions, uh, let me have a go at literally everything. And So for four years, I learned a hell of a lot, not just about how television works practically, but how it works politically, who you need to speak to, who you need to talk to, how much you have to push yourself forward I think
0: that was enormously valuable yeah there's something about those um, the, the, the regional ITV uh, companies and uh, it, it's, it's a weird realisation that I've had as well because I, I, I remember because Yorkshire TV I'm a fellow leader as a leader is, and Yorkshire television for me was just like this kind of magical mystery place. Um, but I never managed to put together the fact that these shows that I was watching and loving on TV when I was a teenager, like Rising Damp, um, and in fact there was a show Rodney Buse did, um, Dear Mother Love Albert, I remember, and uh, various other ones. And it never, I never put together the idea that I could, if I had really pushed and, Haggled with my parents I could have gone to see these shows I could have been a part of that audience it didn't I, I couldn't get my head around the idea that actually this show that was being recorded four miles down the road from me I could actually have been in in that audience but but it did the, the thing about Yorkshire TV it had that reputation didn't it of comedy and comedy drama and um, that's kind of did that sort of shape your your career do you think
2: I was very lucky because, um, whilst I was working at Screenhouse Productions, um, I ended up, I mean, I'd love to say that our industry is now meritocracy and everybody gets through on their skill and uh, natural ability, it's simply not true. Uh, and it wasn't true again back then, this is in sort of uh, late nineties. Um, I ended up working with Kay Mellor's son-in-law because he was a factual producer. And I under now for two weeks and then I put Jackie's wedding, the, the screenplay I'd written at university. And had continued to work on, on his desk and I, oh, I don't know, oh, do you think your mother-in-law would read this? And very kindly must put it on the top of her pile, having now worked for her, I know how many scripts a week she would get. Uh, and she read it and she gave me feedback and, and I built up a relationship with her and it, I ended up um, being her PA then. Uh, and from there got my first commission, which was um, uh, Fat Friends, which is very much a comedy drama. But got to know David Reynolds, who was the head of ITV drama and, and comedy at the time. He'd commissioned so many great shows, uh, was such a Frost, all of that kind of thing. Uh, and he very kindly, a couple of times, let me into his office to pitch things, to talk about what they were looking for. I always got the feeling he took me very seriously. And I'll look back on it with a slight, up. Oh, Brief. you had no idea what you were going in i remember going in and pitching an idea for a sitcom that would have needed to star and deck um and funnily enough it didn't get a commission i still think it would have been a great idea but um uh, he never once laughed me out of his office and to this day at Yorkshire television but i think factual television and drama that there is that feeling of look come and have a chat we'll see what we what we can do which i suspect is i don't know i suspect is, is not as prevalent perhaps in
1: a London-based organization. Yeah, what I really, I'm interested by is how you have that experience of different genres of television. And so in a way you're approaching television as a form of entertainment so you were in the entertainment business and the way that a drama documentary works or David Jason gets a free holiday show works, that the, the audience, are, it's the same audience watching all of those things. And I, and I wonder sometimes when we speak to uh, newer sitcom writers, they're such big fans of the genre and they're trying to do something for comedy fans, forgetting the fact that the vast majority of audiences, they like TV and they like laughing, but they wouldn't call themselves comedy fans. Um, in the same way that you know, obviously with dramas and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, there, there's this sort of, um, there's, a, there's a, you know, there's a very high end sort of drama thing which is actually not for everyone. It's meant to be award winning. Whereas actually, you had a really main sort of mainstream sensibility yeah. in a good way, which was like, are people going to actually enjoy this? And once they've seen the first four minutes, are they actually going to keep watching?
2: And it's something that's really worth keeping in your head that you're not, you're not writing for your mates. And I I, I do a lot of talking at university and I've mentored um, some young writers through uh, the Northern School of of Film. And sometimes you go, this is so in, it's so niche.
1: Yeah.
2: That that I just, it's just not saleable. And it's almost a dirty word to say, look, you you, you want to keep a roof over your head and keep eating pot noodles. Mm. You are going to have to sell something at some point. Yeah. And the difference between a spec script that you might send out to professionals um, that might have a cheeky wink to to what's out there cheeky wink to show your skill and your knowledge and those conversations you have with development producers and etc is all almost competitively about what you are watching what you think about so sort of checking that you checking in with each other did you have the same opinion on rings of power or mm. um, whatever the latest hot show is Never got, got past the third episode. That's, I think, the prevailing opinion of that particular <laughs> show. Um, and But then the audience are people who, do you know what, have worked bloody hard all day, have come home, have got the tea on the lap. And I, when I describe this, I'm not being reductive, this is my family, got the tea on the lap and want either a really good laugh or a really absorbing drama or a, or a factual problem match you I never knew that.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, and it's it's really not rocket science. But there are lots of
1: people making money out of making it sound like science as well. No, definitely. And I was, because cause on top of that, it's also a thing I often say is if you've got an idea for a sitcom, that's great. You need to persuade someone to spend about 1.6 million quid making it. Yeah. So you better be pretty sure that this is going to deliver, um, deliver what they need, which is an audience, rather than here's my idea for a sitcom, which is brilliant. Cause it's never been done before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> never well, been done before. You might discover why.
2: <laughs> very, very early on in my career, cause I worked for Tom Sherry, who produced uh, uh, new tricks, which I, I did not end up doing 11 of them. I think. And very early on, I kept saying, oh, I've got an idea, but I think it's been done for It's all been done. Everything's <laughs> been done. Before. There yeah. is nothing new under the sun and it, Talk about freeing you, every now and then that little his voice comes into the back of my head and goes, Of course, a show about this has been done before, but it's never been done by you in your way. Yeah. So that that looking for the killer concept can can get in the way of actually just getting some bloody writing done, to be quite honest with you.
0: <laughs> Very wise uh advice, you know. And I yeah. I, I, I we talk a lot about yes you've got to be uh, original but you you start with one familiar thing you yeah. start at a very familiar place and then you add an uh, you you what you are the the, the thing that's, that that makes it original your experience your life your your voice to use that horrible uh, word that's it, it, almost indefinable but
1: Hope you're enjoying this episode with lisa just butting in here now uh, to say that this is a two-parter and next week we'll get the rest of it but for now i just wanted to mention um one or two things i'm doing a pay what you like webinar on friday the 9th of december at 7 p.m there may be some football going on at that point but frankly who cares and it's called um, supercharge your sitcom career how to exponentially Intu- improve the chance of success when it comes to your sitcom career part seminar, part intervention, lots of actionable advice and answering questions like, you know, what does success even look like? Do I need to write a script? How do I even get in the room? How do I pitch? Isn't it just too competitive now? How do I reframe this whole thing so that it doesn't drive me nuts? So go over to sitcomgeek.blogspot.com and you will find a link there so you can book into that. And it's literally pay what you like. Uh, So if you want to pay a pound, you can. If you want to pay more, you can. Um, so that's that, Dave. You have a imminent book. Tell us about that.
0: Yes, um, the complete comedy writer. It's coming out on the twenty first of November. Uh, and in fact, on the twenty first, I've been invited to uh, chat with the comedy crowd. We're going to do q and A. Q&A. We're going to talk about uh, how to kind of get your get your career moving and um, get uh, stuff out there yeah and um, on that day, yes as well the book comes out. it's available on uh, as an ebook and the paperback. I'll probably be recording the audio for the new year as well. Um, so yeah, a complete comedy writer second edition with uh, lots of lots of waffle taken out and lots of uh, new stuff put in there.
1: Excellent sounds good and you can probably find out more at davecohen.org.uk is that fair? That's correct yeah great. back to the interview. here we go.
0: So uh, I, I'm curious then to, to know. So did you go kind of from that experience? Was that how you kind of found your way into uh, writing for for Emma Dale then?
2: Yeah. So what, after I'd written Fat Friends, which was was a really new show, I was a completely untried writer, and I look back at myself now and think, God, you, you really weren't putting that much effort. in. Now, I hadn't got involved in my local. Theatre writing group. I wasn't pitching for radio shows or anything like that. I just got obsessed with this one script, which now I tell students and new writers don't do. Have a range of things. Show your show your ability to do different things. Um. So when Kay commissioned me for new trick for uh, Fat Friends, that was quite a, a coup actually, and it was on the provisor. I mean, it's I mean it's still true today, but I'm a bit more confident I'll get to the end these days on the provisor that look. We think you're out your depth. We think you, you can't do it. One of us is going to take your script over. Um, but to K's absolute credit, she supported me and got me to the end um, and and encouraged me to speak in my own, to write in my own voice as well, which was um, Absolutely fantastic, because she had a very strong authorial voice in the first series, but she allowed me to um, talk about my experiences, what I wanted to write about, all that kind of thing. It was great. It was such a good experience. And from that got my agent, Georgina, um, and she said, what do you want to do next? And I felt so uh, such an amateur at that point. I thought, I need to do something that gives me a good grounding. I need to do an apprenticeship of some sort, and I said, look, I'd really like to work on one of the soaps uh, Emmerdale's my local one, I must have been a little bit out of laziness, I'd get to the Emmerdale office uh, at the time on an ATP bus ticket, so um <laughs> I'd like to work for Emmerdale, and she said we'll see what you can do, so for a, for f- a month I went into the story office, so, so for people who don't know there are sort of two gangs of writers on uh, most of the soaps the, the story office who were doing the hard yakka, who were going, right we've got 40 episodes to film. Um, this is you know, this is the A story, this is the B story. You need to know when the sun's coming up uh, at the time you go out, when when it's coming up at the time you're filming, who's available, which actors you can't cross, which sets are available, what's your balance of uh, interior exterior? It's quite a technical job with creativity on top of it. It's, I, not, it's not Brecht, is it? <laughs> it's not, it's not it's it's Becky television the, the reason people refer to soap operas. As, as a sausage factory is exactly that. You have to just keep chucking stuff in to yeah. the sausages or else everything's gonna grind to halt. And I actually loved that for a month. It was Chris it was the month, month before Christmas as well. So I got to go to all the Christmas parties, which was brilliant. <laughs> um had a worked with a team of people, were chucking ideas around there were no, you know that old adage there were no bad ideas. Everybody chucked everything in at all times. Went to Emmerdale's Story Conference. That was brilliant. And then I graduated upon script writing. So the other side of soap writing is the person who gets the storylines and if they are a good human being, is aware of how much hard work is going into them and isn't too disparaging about them. <laughs> I will say that because I had yeah. some colleagues who didn't have the manners to do that. Yeah, um, You work it up into a scene breakdown and then you write your drafts and that's what ends up on, on the screen. There's a, a monthly conference where ev- everybody, both sets of teams, come together and chuck ideas out for either the long term planning so what we're we going to do at christmas what we're we going to do for summer what we're we going to do for cop 26 i can't i'm glad i wasn't there for that um all of that carry on and then the short term planning what happens next month so we left it on a on a cliffhanger at the end of episode 4579 what happens at the epi- end of at the beginning of episode 4580 um yeah. and so um and i loved it i loved the technicality i loved the relentlessness of it and in it for yeah. three years, it was all I thought about. Emmerdale, Emmerdale, Emmerdale. Someone had to tell me their deepest, darkest secrets, their biggest trauma. And I think, well, oh, that's that's a good story for charity. <laughs> so uh, I loved it. And it never stopped. It was a monthly, it was very um, strictured monthly. There was no, I'm not going to get it in today because I'm I'm having a bad writing day. It was like, well, then you're sacked. <laughs> it was you're deadlined because every, there was, and it taught you that television is such a team sport that if you don't hand your script team, then the directors buggered, then your actors are buggered, then your heads of department are buggered. I'm still, uh, I'm not in acquaintance with, you know, the, the designers, the people, etc., because I lived in Leeds, I would go to YT, you know, Yorkshire Television things. things. Um, it was the best apprenticeship. You know, people sneer at soap, but my God, the quality of writing that goes on in British soaps and the the volume of it, no one else, you know, if you are, you know, God bless Russell T. Davis, but, you know, considering what he works on, he does a good strong six episodes a year. That's great. But he used to work in soaps, So he knows he must feel like that's luxurious yeah. because he knows what goes into soaps. Yeah. And I think the best British television writers are ex-soap writers.
1: Yeah. We spoke not that long ago to Ashley Farrow um who did a lot of uh, eastenders and uh, yeah that gave him uh, an amazing apprenticeship as well and i guess you know there are limited places on those things but they are they are a place where lots of people start and i wonder if you know any opportunity that you get you know how how do you how do you make the most of that opportunity especially if it isn't the show that you would naturally choose to work for um you know how can you because obviously you liked emmerdale you watched it you know it was local to you so you had a bit of a connection to it but i guess there are all all kinds of opportunities out there for things that aren't you know so for example one thing that comes up a lot on this podcast is writing topical comedy for you know for whatever radio four have got going how do you um pg woodhouse might say whack up the ginger to uh (laughs) to, to 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 jump in and and to make the most of it rather than be just yeah, a fish out of water in a show that you fundamentally just can't stand.
2: I think soaps have a natural competitiveness and because you're in a room with lots of other writers. Now, I've never written topical comedy, and I sort of assume there's a little bit of that unless you're one of these people making videos that go up on, on um, uh, Twitter, which are amazing. I know a couple of people who do that. And I think there's some incredible stuff out there. So that's like competitive. I don't want to show my arse here. I don't want to pitch an idea that is rubbish or has been pitched 90 times before and I didn't know because I'm the new girl. Um, I want my scripts to have less and less notes with every passing draft. And I don't want anyone ever to say the, the favorite words. I think we're in a bit of trouble here. I've never heard them. That's good news. But I know other writers who... I mean, it's brutal as well because it's on Emmerdale and the other soaps, it is for the most part, you are employed script to script. Right. So if your last script was rubbish, there's a strong chance you'll get a call from the producer saying we're not commissioning you next next week and probably wow. we won't be commissioning you again.
1: Yeah. Because they can't, because they say they, they need sausages. They need half a dozen sausages next week. Um, and nothing personal, but this isn't and, and I guess maybe that's the other thing, isn't it? Is like we all have experiences where you just think this, I'm a square peg in a round hole here. This isn't for me. Yeah. Um, and, and in a way you've, you've learned something. It's a positive yeah. experience, isn't it? To, to try something and it for it not to work out.
2: I think the secret is to go in respectfully. So and I'll, I'll make a big confession here. When I first went on to Midsummer murders and I wrote four of those, I was a little bit sneery about that show and didn't appreciate it. I don't think I've ever worked as hard as I did on Midsummer Murders. Um, right. And it was pretty fun. He used to call me on a Monday and say you come down to Pinewood for a script edit, and then I wouldn't get home till Friday. And then I'd yeah. send a runner out to buy me some clean knickers. So, you know, that's that's how brutal that show is. Yeah. And so I, I underestimated it the first time and then understood what I was taking on the, the subsequent, subsequent times. And I think sometimes people come into soaps thinking, It's easy. You're writing it for some eight-year-old who's knitting while she watches it. But the audience is incredibly exacting. If if you change the canon with one word, if you say so and so was married to thingy or whatever, you'll get fifty letters and and you've not quite done it right. People really react to that show, those shows. So go in with an open heart, understanding that everybody's there to make a good show. Yeah. Um. And if it's if it's not if it's genuinely not for you, then move on. But actually, if you'd have asked me probably in the first two and a half years of work worked for Emmerdale, what's the best show on television I've gone on? It's Emmerdale, and I'd have meant it. Yeah. I was obsessed with it. I believed that when we won BAFTAs, I was over the moon. I was really um, it was like being a a, a Leeds United supporter, uh, but for soap operas. So um be that person for the time you work in there and then move on. Yeah. Um because um you've got to really care about what you're ex- bloody hard work yeah
1: yeah yeah and you want to be reframe your thinking in terms of how can i contribute to this team Mm. you know even if i'm not totally in the tank for emmerdale these people are and i like these people and i just want to be i want to be a team player and and help um rather than how do these people mean i can move on in my career you know, yeah. it's just, you're just not going to get that far. You can, that you can spot stage. that
2: mile off. Somebody's a tourist, you can spot it. Okay. You can smell it and also, you need to care about your audience. Yeah. That That's a that's one of the loyalist audiences in television. People mm. will watch it through when they think it's having a dip, When other, you know, when the critics are slagging it off, when it's not cool and trendy anymore, that there is a hard part of audience that will stick with that. So, mm. so you owe that. You're all doing a good job. Mm.
0: Yeah. I, I'm thinking about for uh, comedy writers. Um, as you, you mentioned, EastEnders is not, it's not, it's not a barrel of laughs, really, is it? <laughs> um, but um, Coronation Street, Emmerdale are, are kind of renowned for for having humour. But I mean, I mean, it, it's it, I, I guess it's quite hard to to get into that. Those, if you're if you're like you're wanting to become a writer, and you know, you think I want to write sitcoms. Um, how? How easy is it to get into something? like I mean, I know Coronation Street is really, really hard to get into, yeah. but h- how how would a, a, a promising writer kind of get, get, get a, an introduction to something
2: like Emmerdale? So I, I went through my agent, so that, that's the origin, but not everybody has an agent. There are a couple of entry-level ways in. So the Starry team, because uh, it's such hard work that it's quite a churn of staff on the Starry team, uh, it's not terribly well paid and it's stupid hours. Um, but if you're up for that, then um it's worth writing to the producer or the assistant producers and asking the next time they are looking for uh storytelling you can you can be part of the consideration. Emmerdale, I'm not sure they still do, but they certainly use that. I think I actually think they both do. I think Cory and Emmerdale used to run regular workshops for new writers, um, sort of a mock conference mock storylining session to find new people. So, again, write to them with a writing sample uh, and applying email or letter and just say, I'd be interested in getting involved in this. Also, if you're a member of the Writers Guild, they are constantly um, looking for script editors and script team. Now, it does feel like you're on the other side, but actually quite a few people go from the script editing team onto the writing team. Again, it's an, it can be an entry-level job. Uh, for you being a script assistant, script uh, writer. and know the archivist um, on, Coronet, on Coronet Street ended up being uh, a writer. Um, so what I'd say is it is incredibly difficult to get the job you really want, which is, you know, my own sitcom, et cetera, or even just writing the, the script. It's a little bit easier to get the job adjacent to the job you want, and it will put you in a better position to make that move up.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you say... Uh, for the writers guild i mean i 've got the latest we- weekly email bulletin uh from last Friday, and there is a job story producer for River City uh, which I think is a, a, a scottish uh sh- show yeah. and then there 's a trainee assistant script editor for hollyoaks and then there 's a trainee assistant script editor for another produ- a channel four production training scheme and there 's a scripted development assistant job um you know and all of these are on the um on the writers' Guild. Uh, uh, newsletter but you know a join the writers guild because even if you're not a working writer you there are sort of associate uh, memberships and things like that available aren't there
2: there are so you could be a a candidate member so if you've not had your first professional um, job there's a low um, rate of of, uh, subs that you can pay you don't get things like legal protection for example if you get your first contract we're going to ask you to upgrade to full membership but we uh you pay on a sliding scale so it's based on based on what mm. you've earned for writing um that year we do our C tax returns it's an honesty system and there is student membership for undergraduates as well yeah. Yeah. um which I think is 65 pounds.
1: Yeah. So um so join th- that um but also it's just evidence that that these shows are constantly looking and it may be that oh I don't particularly want to work on a Um, one of these things we just think well actually if you're in Scotland and you're looking for a way in and River City's on um, have a look um, and or find another way or you know rep theatre's gone that used to be one way in which people were 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 sort of writing and churning stuff out but there are lots of other things or you could or you could do your do your own thing um, and uh, start a blog start a web YouTube channel start you know just get out there writing and I think it's just a question of Of discipline as much as anything else and showing intent but you know that's always easier said than done
0: yeah i mean one thing i just wanted to before we leave talking about talk about soaps is that um we 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 talk a lot about how sitcom is different from drama in that it's it's like a sort of permanent act two and that you know that the characters come back and and they never learn from the mistakes and they're the same uh, every time i guess soaps are kind of is an even more kind of heightened version of that so um and that there's a, a mistake we often see with with sitcom writers is that they think oh well uh you know sitcom characters lives uh are, are stuck therefore their lives are boring therefore the script is boring and like real life where where soap is actually that much closer to real life and i wonder how do you how do you bring to life the stuff that is you know it really is people in shops and sitting around and hanging around in pubs and and, and, and you know it, it 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 how 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 do you have and I, and I know there's this sort of phase of having you know kind of car crashes and whatever but oh. the, in the day to day running of the soap how how do you kind of bring that life into it mm. it is i think
2: the, the emotional stakes so i think i think it's probably true to a certain extent for for sitcom as well that it's about how Um, triumphant someone feels at the end of of the episode or whether they've succeeded or whether Mm. I mean in classic comedy that they are a loser and they've lost again and it's all gone terribly wrong Uh, Basil Fawlty immediately springs to mind Mm. Um, so what I'd say about soap is it's always the emotional. Are they going to repeat the same mistakes? Are they being betrayed? Are they, you know, is the person they are they unable to tell the person they love that they love them? Mm. Which um, in bigger dramas, these high end stuff where things are exploding, is often the B story, the sort of the lower level richness, texture, all the rest of mm. the emotional life of of the characters. Whereas in soap, it's everything. It's everything we care about. And yeah, you can drop a plane on the village or you can have a tram come off the viaduct or, or what have you. But actually once that stunt's done, it's one episode, it's what that does emotionally to everyone. So who's grieving, who's lost something, who got exposed because they were in the wrong place at the at the time of the crash, all those stuff. Mm. So when I've you know, for the three years that MD we did, I was there for the Emma Gale, um, where we dropped uh, half the world pack on a character. Um, what was the big discussion is, wh- how much story does this generate for our characters going forward? Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and then, basically, the other departments looked after uh, the wind machines and the poor actors getting sodden through and the cows driving off bridges and all the rest of it. Once that was written, we weren't interested in it. We were interested in what, you know, who's left bereft, who gained from it, who, you know, what's the story for? But it was a particularly big story for Marlon, played by Mark Charnock. And, and I think it really cemented this position as, as in the centre of the show because we saw him grieve and we had a big story about um organ donation because his wife had been able to donate her organs. It just, it generated so much story for months and months. That's why you do, you do it. So you do it in autumn because everybody's come back off their holidays. Um, and you want them to um, sit down and watch your soap, so that's when you blow some up. And maybe you do it in spring, and you do something good at Christmas. We never bothered at Christmas; we always did a, a light comedy episode at Christmas because we knew Eastenders would have someone being strangled in, in the Queen Coronation <laughs> Street would have something truly, you know, dramatic. So we did something a bit nice for the yeah. most part. I don't think it's true anymore. I think they go for a bit more drama now. But we did something Christmassy mm. um, as opposed to death. What a great idea!
1: Yeah, people like Christmas. Um,
2: We we have it most years, I
1: think, don't we? I believe so. uh, I believe very much an annual event. Yeah, I I think that's really good training, isn't it? For I mean, it's a great question, Dave. In terms of, you know, what we can learn from soaps, it is the fact that you are injecting maximum jeopardy and, and personal investment in relatively small events. Yeah, but that that is life. You know, we are. Our anxieties, our petty rivalries, our all our all of our hopes and dreams are played out in tiny little
2: ways uh, in our lives. Still the biggest episode, I I can't claim it, I didn't write it. One of the biggest Eriadale episodes ever is is Battley the Dog, The Yorkshire Terrier Dying. It was heartbreaking, not a dry eye in the house. (laughs) Because we knew how much that dog meant to that character who couldn't make connections with other people in the village. She was the the yeah. of the village. Uh, it won a BAFTA. That's what what is the BAFTA? BAFTA yeah. dying. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's that stuff. People people watching other people and going it's relatable. I felt like that with my dog died or I felt like that with my husband cheated on me or all those kind of things. It's And, it, and the way it has an ability to, to set conversations off, I think is a valuable part of our, our television ecosystem. I remember
0: watching, uh, I was a big Coronation Street fan when I first moved to London. It sort of reminded me of the, the, the North that never existed, but <laughs> it kind of helped, helped, helped me through a bit. But, uh, I, I, but I remember that when... Um, Stan Ogden died, and it was, uh, it, it's kind of become a cliche now of TV. There's this sort of moment when Hilda is, uh, picking up his uh, glasses case. I'm sort of welling up thinking about it now, you know. It's just a kind of, and it's, uh, you know, he's died, but his glasses case is still on the table where it always was. And it's it, that's become almost a sort of, I've, I've seen that done now about sort of 10 times, and it was such a kind of, I think it was a sort of the nation mourned. I mean, and they were Stan and Hilda, they were just, a, uh, you know, they were just the ordinary couple, and they just bickered yeah. and shouted. They were a great comedy couple. Even and, even and I knew know, who Hilda Ogden
1: was, and we we didn't. You know, I'm from the West Country, and we were an East Enders household. Um, but yeah, she was she was unavoidable. We'll have the second half of that interview next week where we get into all kinds of other really practical stuff about writing and her adventures. And if you can't wait for that, then join us on Patreon and you'll get the whole thing in one go. And also bonus material on being a showrunner. So uh, that's really worth joining Patreon for and other advanced episodes, lots of other goodies too and access to our Discord server. So why not join us over on Patreon? It also just keeps the lights on and we'd be ever so grateful for your support. Don't forget there's the Supercharge Your Sitcom Career webinar with me on Friday the 9th of December on Zoom at 7 p.m. So go over to sitcomgeek.blogspot.com and you'll find a link to that. And also Dave's book on the 21st of November comes out, Complete Comedy Writer. Do get hold of that. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Cheerio.